Once there was someone who said such amazing things and did such wonderful things that people began to follow him. They didn't know who he was, so one day they simply had to ask him. And he said, I am the Good Shepherd. I know each one of my sheep by name. And they know the sound of my voice. So when I call my sheep from the sheepfold, they follow me. I walk in front of the sheep to show them the way. I show them the way to the good green grass. This is the table of the Good Shepherd. A special plate and a special cup are here on this table. Here, the Good Shepherd feeds his sheep. Many come to this joyful feast. They come from the east. They come from the west. They come from the north and the south. And the children come too. The Good Shepherd is still with us in the holy bread, in the holy cup. And one of the people of God, called the celebrant, comes and says the very words of the Good Shepherd and all share in his presence here. I wonder if these people have names. I wonder if the people are happy to be at this great feast. I wonder if you have been really close to this table. My name is Claire Longwa and today's scripture comes from John 17, 20 through 23. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them as you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Hey Grace242, Pastor Bill here. Today we begin with a glimpse into Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, where boss Michael Scott thinks he has a great opportunity for the other men in his office. Let's watch. So, Phil recruited me to sell these cards, and now I am recruiting you. 
Who is this guy again? Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He is doing just fine. Okay. Calling cards are the wave of the future. These things sell themselves. Who uses calling cards anyway? You know what? That's a nice attitude, Ryan. I'm just helping you invest in your future, my friend. It sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes. Thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. Didn't you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? All right, so raise your hand if you want to get rich. All right. No, um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? All right, let me explain. Again. <laughs> Phil has recruited me and another guy. Now we are getting three people each. The more people that get involved, the more people who are investing, the more money we're all gonna make. It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme per se. It's... I have to go make a call. <laughs> Michael, as Jim so succinctly pointed out, was getting wrapped up in a pyramid scheme. And I show you this clip because in some ways we are wrapped up in our own pyramid scheme, although a pyramid scheme of a very different kind. Our pyramid scheme is one that makes disciples. Last week we looked at Grace 242's mission. Grace 242, being, making, and multiplying disciples. Discipleship begins by following Jesus yourself. You have to first be a disciple of Jesus yourself before you can expect to make other disciples of Jesus. So as a disciple of Jesus first, we look to Jesus' life as the model for our life. When we look at Jesus, we see him up with the Father so that he is renewed to be in with his disciples, training them to go out into the world. I'd like to thank you all for all the positive feedback that we've been receiving on the mission statement. I like our three verbs because you can actually put them on the triangle. It all starts with you being a disciple of Jesus first. Following Jesus means that our identity is in Him. Who we are is grounded in who Jesus is, and Jesus is someone who is persistently up with His Father. All of the actions and relationships in Jesus' life spring from His relationship with the Father. If we are being followers of Jesus, then we need to be in relationship with God, just as Jesus is in relationship with His Father. Since Jesus was persistently up with the Father, being disciples means that we also are persistently up with God. We are up with God so that we are empowered to be in making disciples of Jesus. We are being a disciple of Jesus ourselves so that we can be making other disciples of Jesus. We make disciples by pouring our up relationship with God into someone else. We are making disciples with the goal not only that those disciples would become followers of Jesus themselves, but that they would be equipped to go out and multiply other disciples. We multiply by making disciple makers. We reproduce our up relationship with God so that those whom we are in with can go out and reproduce their own up relationships with God in others. If it all rests on being a disciple first, then we need to go to the source material. We need to go to Jesus himself. Who we are as disciples of Jesus needs to be grounded in who Jesus is. We need Jesus' life reproduced in our lives. Let's look at Jesus' example. And I want to look at a prayer of Jesus in John 17. 
Now, when I started studying this passage for today's message, it occurred to me, why have I never appreciated this before? I mean, I've read John before, so clearly I've read John 17 before, but for some reason, I just never appreciated this prayer of Jesus. And now that I've looked into it, it is simply phenomenal. Why didn't I appreciate this before? John 17 is the longest prayer of Jesus in the Bible. And the neat thing about this prayer is that it functions as a window into Jesus' heart. Something I've grown to appreciate as I've gotten older is listening to others pray. I mean, have you ever paused to appreciate the fact that when you hear someone else pray, you are hearing someone talk to God? I mean, just think about that. You are hearing someone else speak to God. You are hearing their desires, their thoughts, their hopes, their concerns, their worries, all of these verbally expressed with all the hallmarks of this person's own personality, all of it expressed to the king of the cosmos. When you listen to someone pray, you are hearing someone's heart stretching out to grasp the hand of their maker. That's what we get here. We get to listen to the heart of the Messiah as he stretches out to grasp hands with the Father. We gain a window into the heart of the King of the Cosmos. John, as the lone non-synoptic gospel, is the only gospel writer to record this prayer. Because this prayer took place sometime shortly before Jesus' arrest, it's often seen as Jesus' final speech to his followers before he dies. And I imagine this prayer taking place at the Last Supper before Jesus and company went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. Last week in Luke 6, we saw Jesus stealing away to be up with his Father as was his habit. In John 17, Jesus is up praying to the Father, but he's not alone. Rather, he's in the presence of his disciples. Here's what Gary Burge says in his commentary on John. The disciples are invited, as our readers, to catch a glimpse of Jesus' intimate relation between himself and his Father, and that's what we get to do today. Let's look at the heart of Jesus, and we're going to see his heart in this prayer in John 17, verses 21 to 23. Now, as we read, up, in, and out are going to be all over the place. And as we read, you might even be already categorizing these statements of Jesus. You might be saying, oh, there he's speaking about in, there he's speaking about up, there he's out. To which I might say, good, excellent. But today I want to focus specifically on his up statements that reveal his identity. Let's look at who Jesus is and read John 17 verses 21 to 23. Jesus prays, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, I've highlighted a few of Jesus' phrases that reveal who he is. These are being statements. Two statements or themes that arise out of these verses of Jesus' prayer that are core to his identity. Number one, he is in the Father. And number two, he is one with the Father. Jesus says in verse 21, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And then he repeats this in verse 23 when he says, you are in me. These words, in and one with the Father, are favorites of the Gospel writer John. 
When Jesus prays in chapter 17, he says that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And I'm going to let John explain what Jesus means when he says that. So let's turn to John 15 and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. I am the true grapevine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. John explains what Jesus means when he says that he is in the Father. Jesus uses this gardening metaphor, and in this metaphor, the Father is the gardener, Jesus is the grapevine, and we are the branches on that vine. The Father, as any good gardener would do, cuts away branches that are dead and aren't bearing any fruit. He additionally prunes those branches that are bearing fruit so that they can be even more productive and bear even more fruit. So how do we bear fruit? Jesus tells us in verse 5, he says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. I like how the ESV states verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Far apart from me you can do nothing. I like that word abide. We are to abide in Jesus as Jesus abides in his Father. This is what Jesus means when he says that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Jesus abides in the Father and the Father abides in Jesus. As Jesus abides in the Father, we are to abide in God. If being a disciple means that we copy Jesus' up relationship with the Father, then we are to abide in God as Jesus abides in his Father. After the message, I want you to talk with your house church about what you think it means to abide in God. What does abiding in the Father and Son look like in your own life? How do you copy Jesus' example of abiding in the Father in your own life? Jesus is in the Father, and he is one with the Father. In verse 21, Jesus says, just as you and I are one. And again, in verse 22, Jesus says, as we are one. Again, we'll let John explain what Jesus means when he says that he is one with the Father. Look with me at John 10, and we'll read verse 27 to 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. There's that statement again. The Father and I are one. Jesus is one with the Father. In this passage, he is setting up a shepherding metaphor where he is the shepherd, his people are the sheep, and the Father is the one who gives the sheep to his shepherd. The Father and Son are of one essence and purpose. Jesus is God, and Jesus shares the same purpose as God, which is to save the sheep the Father gives to him. He is one in essence with the Father, which means he is God, and they share the same purpose, which is to save the sheep. We 
as Jesus' sheep, don't and never will share in the same essence as the Father and Son. Because the Father and Son are God, and we are not. However, we do share in the purpose of the Father and the Son, which is to save God's sheep. Jesus' up relationship with God includes this unity of purpose as Jesus' sheep if we, like John 10.27 says, hear Jesus' voice, know Jesus, and follow Jesus, then we share this same purpose. Think about your up relationship with God in light of Jesus' up relationship with God. Jesus shared the same purpose with the Father to save his sheep. Do you share this purpose? Evaluate yourself in light of John 10:27. Have you been hearing Jesus' voice? Do you know him? Have you been following him? What does it look like to hear Jesus, know Jesus, follow Jesus? We're looking at Jesus' up relationship with the Father as a model for our own up relationship with God. If we are to be disciples, then we need to look at who Jesus is. Jesus is in the Father, and Jesus is one with the Father. Both of these expressed in the metaphors of gardening and shepherding. Are we abiding in Jesus who is the vine? And are we following Jesus as his sheep? I'll end with this. Being a disciple means that we copy Jesus' relationship with the Father. And as we look at that relationship, it's important to identify something we don't share and something that we do share. What we don't share is Jesus' divinity. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is one in essence with the Father. We aren't God. We never will be God. And thank God for that, right? But as we look to become who Jesus is with the Father in relationship to the Father, we have to recognize that we will never be God like Jesus is God. That's something we don't share. But if that's where it ended, then God would be so transcendent, so unattainable, so inaccessible, so ineffable, that where would we even ever begin the process of becoming like Him or finding our identity in Him? It'd be like having a starting line on Earth and a finish line on some distant planet. There's just simply no way to get there, so why would we even begin the process? Why would we even start to try? If Jesus was only divine, then there's no way to become like him, because we're not divine and never will be. But the story doesn't stop with Jesus' divinity. Because Jesus is both divine and human, he is both God and man. We don't share his divinity, but we do share his humanity. And by becoming human, Jesus meets us where we're at in our human state. He gives us something we can aspire to because becoming a disciple of Jesus is now attainable. Because as humans, we can become like another human. He gives us his human life of being up with his Father so that we can copy Jesus' life in our own lives. In Jesus, we see a human who is up with the Father, and as Jesus' disciples, we reproduce Jesus' life of being up with the Father in our own lives. Simply put, as a human, he gives us as humans something that's reproducible in our own lives. Take some time to discuss in your house churches. What's standing out to you from today's message? If being one with the Father 
meant that we hear the voice of the shepherd. What are you hearing from the voice of the shepherd today? How do you abide in God? What do you take away from these metaphors of shepherding and gardening? Take some time to discuss in your house churches, and we'll see you again next time, Grace 242.